talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. song I just want to fly away should have been the theme song for Eric Adams the mayor the uh, swagger man who has no plan in dealing with all the uh, Michigash the crime the garbage the rats the flotsam the jetsam the emotionally disturbed the homeless man he is lost so after hitting club zero bond last night while I was on the air that's right dizzy is he you know I was doing it to the break of dawn with my brother and sister crew, unlike uh, the other side of midnight with the Mick Whitey Whiteys of Frank Morano, who will finally be working uh, after I finish up at 12 midnight. That's right, I'm going through the Quinella. Just came back from the Dominican uh, Day Parade up 6th Avenue in Manhattan, in which I was marching with Congressman Lee Zeldin and his Lieutenant Gubernatorial Candidate Esposito as we are charging towards the finish line of November 8th to sweep Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb out and provide a little law and order and sanity and get back on track here in the state of New York. I'll give you uh, an overview of what it was like on 6th Avenue today as all the politicians uh, stupidly queue up and hide behind one another, and you know me. I go up and down, up and down, up and down. I do the parade three times before it even starts. Because I view it as, it's my parade, right? If you politicians are going to hide, I'm just going to be prime time. But before we get into what happened on 6th Avenue just moments ago, this is breaking news. You see, I find out what our mayor is doing. And we know he's not fighting crime. Crime is escalating at an el rapido rate. He took a private jet last night. After he had finished raising the roof at the Club Zero Bond, whatever happens at Zero Bond stays in Zero Bond, where you can wine, dine, and pocket line the mayor. And he headed off to Martha's Vineyard. They call it the Black Hamptons. I call it the Chocolate Cape Cod and the new house of the Black Liberal Progressives of America. As you know, first colonized by Barack and Michelle Obama. All of a sudden, they started to say, hey, we like this area. Hey, Kennedys, vacate. The rest of you, McWhitey Whiteys, it's our time. People of color, 
And they've taken it over. They call it the Black Hamptons now. And so in the wee hours of the morning on a private Learjet, I believe they'd left Teterboro Airport. <laughs> Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plan, trying to recover as he was a little tipsy last night. Yep, according to reports. Now, the guy generally does not imbibe. He doesn't toot uh, the blow. And I don't know what the hell he was flying on yesterday, but he ended up, uh, by the time uh, I finished the program at the break of dawn, having breakfast in Martha's Vineyard and then brunch, and ended up grabbing some loot to the tune of $50,000 in a one-hour fundraiser. And you say to yourself, what the hell are you fundraising for? You've been in office seven months. You've been a dismal failure. You're de Blasio 2.0. And believe it or not, he already has in the bank a million dollars for his re-election. The hubris. The chutzpah. This guy, the swagger man, has bamboozled everybody. He's out there fundraising. And then he was doing the brother and sister routine. Yo, yo, you know, you, you brothers and sisters, you can understand, man. You walk with melanin in your complexion like I do. Right now, I need your white dollars. That's right. Give me those presidents who are slave owners right now. I'm going to take them out of your pocketbooks. I'm going to take them out of your wallets. Because I don't want you walking around with any slave-owning presidents on the currency. Put it all in the hefty trash bag. Nobody will know. We don't have to report this stuff. It's cash and carry. Ah, did anybody report that? Did you know that, Kevin? Did you know that, Dizzy Izzy? Of course, you would never drop time on the brother anyway because you believe snitches get stitches and end up in ditches. By the way, I sent... Uh, one of my able-bodied uh, uh, members, other Curtis Lee, with the other not the other side of Midnight Crew, Avery, good churchgoer parishioner, sent him to the church. What's happening now in Canarsie? You know, to the right reverend, self-appointed Bishop Whitmore, who, if you remember, three weeks ago claimed that he was robbed first of forty thousand, make that four hundred thousand dollars worth to bling. Then he boosted it to a million dollars. Then he said, boy, that's that's being like a Hazariah pig. That's being a bit greedy. And I don't think the insurance company is going to reimburse me for a million bucks of bling. I'm knocking back down to 400000 Let me give you an update on that, ladies and gentlemen. The weak district attorney in Kings County, Eric Gonzalez, who if he busts you with a loaded 9 millimeter, your first arrest, you don't go to jail. You go to a diversion program. Hey, they give you pizza and Coca-Cola. A therapist says, you're not going to do it again, right, Dizzy Izzy? And you say, I'm not going to jail. No, just just promise you're not going to do it again. Have your slice first, right? It's a fresh slice on the sucker taxpayers. And best promise, Dizzy Izzy, cross your heart and hope to die. Then you're not going to go out with a loaded 9 millimeter again and, God forbid, shoot anybody. And then you walk out of the door of that diversion program and say... Man, he's a bunch of suckers. Yo, homies, let's do it. Throw the guns in the air like you just don't care. Time to do a drive-by, right? That's why Brooklyn is the drive-by capital in New York City. But I digress. On uh, good authority from an assistant district attorney who's uh, just about ready to jump ship, claiming that Eric Gonzalez, the DA in Kings County, the largest DA's office in the city, is refusing to do any kind of an investigation of his very dear friend, like the mayor's very dear friend, pastor, self-appointed Bishop Whitmore, that we know bamboozled everybody with that so-called, I got robbed, I got robbed, look, look, check, check the video. We will get an update from Avery, who has uh, grown up in the church. He says, look, 
Uh, everybody believes in whatever the pastor says. Yeah, yeah, they believe what Reverend Ike said too, right? Give me the money. Show me the money. That's all it's about. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, let me open up the phone lines. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So as I was out on 6th Avenue, I was walking past the Port Authority, and guess what? A lot of illegals pounding the hound coming on in from Texas. I'm going to give you an update momentarily because the swagger man with no plan, Eric Adams, was not there like Mother Teresa to greet them to the sanctuary city. No, he was too busy mining dollars, dialing for dollars right there in Martha's Vineyard. By the way, uh, let me explain to you how it's changed from the days of the Kennedys, uh, Martha's Vineyard, where it was white people who were half in the bag. The Kennedys were always crocked. Now it's black people who are half in the bag, always crocked. And they have an endless brunch. It's a liquid brunch. And the mimosas, endless. Just keep pouring it, pouring it. So it used to be all the McWhitey Whiteys, all the Irish, you know, the Kennedys. And now it's a change of the guard. And now it's African-Americans, uh, men, women, and non-binary. We will discuss that later on because I had to learn what non-binary means from, of all people, Joan Hamburg's guest. Even the Altachaka Joan Hamburg said, what? What the hell is that? And then this woman goes on for like a month of Sundays. Well, you know, if the angle or the dangle is here and you're ready to merge, but you don't want to fornicate or copulate, you're non-binary. I cannot understand what the hell that woman was talking about, but it merges with what they're doing to Joan of Arc. Oh, I, I passed by the Church of St. Jean Baptiste. Uh, not really French, French Canadian, Quebecois, up on 76 off of Lexington. And there were parishioners coming out crying. They were crying. They were speaking French. At French, I had no idea. I took French in uh, junior high school, Builder C Junior High School. What a mistake. I couldn't even order from a French menu now if my life depended on it. I should have taken Spanish. But these women were coming up. Curtis, look at what they're doing to our heroine. No, no, no. Not the stuff you shoot into your veins, you know, with the fentanyl. Relax. Relax, Dizzy. They're not dope fiends. But the hero of the French, the patron saint of France... As Frank Morano would say, even Macron and his grandmother wife would say, oh, don't touch Joan of Arc. Have you ever been in the heart of Paris? There is a gold statue to Joan of Arc that nobody is ripped off. They fear the spirit, the warrior spirit of the female. No, now I'm non-binary. Joan of Arc. That's right. Leave it to the Brits who have always hated the French. They're now doing a play in which they take this, this hero, a feminist... And women for years, Joan of Arc, and they turn her into a non-binary. And we're going to be dependent on a guest of the Altachacha, Joan Hamburg, to find out what the hell non-binary means. And remember, there are now 72 different terms that you can describe your gender identification with. Dizzy, you have a lot of choices. And whatever your sexual gratification is, whether it's manual stimulation, whether it is by sight, whether it is through the air... Or if it is uh, doing deep knee bends, whatever it is that turns you on. And guess what? In any moment, Dizzy, if you suggest that that's what you are, both Kevin, the producer of the weekend programs, and yours truly, we must accept your decision and honor your decision. Even if you flip the script and two hours later you say, you know something? I decided I had enough sex in the last two hours. I'm afraid I'll get monkeypox 
I'm afraid I'll get sexually transmitted diseases and then get a letter from the Board of Health in Chelsea. So you know what? Now I'm asexual. Now I'm abstaining from sex. I'm keeping my rocket in my pocket. Abstinence is the cure. Excellent. Yes. By the way, let me get back on track here. As to why our jet-setting mayor had just scored $50,000 in campaign contribution in the Black Hamptons, better known as Martha's Vineyard, flying back to New York City so he can pretend that, oh, he was in the city all along, so he can march towards the middle of the endless Dominican Day Parade that I just came back from on 6th Avenue in Manhattan. By the way, he was happy the few hours he was there. No crime in Martha's Vineyard. No crime was He was saying, see... Zero crime. I'm the mayor of Martha's Vineyard. Zero crime. (laughs) Zero tolerance. By the way, even the fashionistas of Martha's Vineyard were saying, My God, do you realize that suit he was wearing earlier today for his fundraising brunch? That not even the leader of the Medellin cartel at his height, who would have imported seamstresses, and tailors come in from Italy. Not even the head of the Medellin cartel had tailored suits like that. And by the way, the other reason that every black in a, any black in a power, power position in the Democratic Party had to be there is Al Slim Shady Sharpton was holding court. They actually were unveiling a documentary that he produced, he directed, he made of himself. And naturally, I'm sure it's going to show warts and all. I'm sure he's going to be telling us about Tawana Brawley. How she was lying and how he was lying with Mason and Maxson. Not. In fact, it's called Big Mouth. And I said, wait a second, Big Mouth. I remember when I was on the old Morton Downey Jr. shows without Slim Shady Sharpton. Remember, he had the bouffant, just like uh, Godfather of Soul, Soul Brother number one, James Brown, his mentor. And then he had the jumpsuit, the velour suit, and then he had the Martin Luther King Jr. gold medallion, dizzy hizzy. Whatever happened to that gold medallion around his neck? I know times got hard. He probably took it to a pawn shop, but I believe it's somewhere out there. One of those uh, reality shows, you know, those pawn shops. I'm sure they're rocking that medallion somewhere. But no, 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 no. He was sitting there. He was holding court. And he was telling the audience, you better like this documentary. Loudmouth, because if you don't, you're off the island. Uh, you know, this is like, oh, oh, welcome to my island, remember? Ricardo Montembaum, little tattoo, the plane, the plane, the plane. No, 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 that's Sharpton's uh, island now, you know, Martha's Vineyard. He looks to 40 acres in a mule, Spike Lee, and he says, should we let him on our island? The plane, the plane, Sharpton. Spike Lee is like tattooed. The plane, the plane, Reverend. Oh, my God. This is chaotic. You can imagine. And, by the way, what a scam. Al Slim Shady Sharpton, who's head of the nonprofit, the National Action Hate Network, actually got paid millions of dollars by the board of directors as the board of directors of the National Action Network bought his rights to films, to documentaries, to books, they gave him millions of dollars. That's illegal. You can't do that. But who's going to prosecute that, Tish James? <laughs> uh, the highest elected law enforcement official and the monitor of all groups that have nonprofits? I know it 
because she sticks a needle in my neck every chance she gets. Since I run the 501c3 known as the Alliance of Guardian Angels, dot Inc. since 1980, right? And where will Tish James be this week? Well, you don't have to worry, Donald Trump. She'll be out of your life for a full week because she's in Martha's Vineyard. Every influential African-American of substance is there to be wine, dined, and to give up their money. The people like the swagger man, Eric Adams, who has no plan. Spike Lee, 40 acres in a mule. <laughs> Al Slim Shady Sharpton. Tyler Perry. I could go on and on and on, but I really don't want to bore you. And we have more pressing issues to discuss. Here from the uh, segment of the 3 to 5 show. Remember, I do the hop, skip, and a jump. I do the overnights 12 to 6, and I keep you up until the break of dawn. Then I come back from 3 to 5, and there is late-breaking news, which I'm going to share with you. By the way, did anybody know that Eric Adams was out fundraising in Martha's Vineyard? Did Page Six know that? Was that reported, Kevin, in the Daily News, the New York Post? Oh, no. Oh, no. Politico, Reuters, absolutely not, because Eric Adams' complexion is his protection. So the next time you hear the promo that says, Curtis Lee knows where everyone's political bones are buried and who buried them, Believe it. I'm giving you the news before anybody. Right now, they're like, what? They're listening in the Post newsroom. The mayor was in Martha's Vineyard. He didn't have that on his schedule. He said he was going to be at the Dominican Day Parade. That's what we assumed. They all were waiting there. And I went, psych, psych, all the photographers, all the reporters. I said, who are you waiting for? Oh, we're waiting for the mayor, Curtis. Uh, I guess he's going to be a little bit late. He had to pick up the loot in Martha's Vineyard. Fly to Teterboro Airport in a private Learjet. By the way, whose who's private Learjet is that, huh? Yeah. Whose private Learjet was that, huh? Who, who does he owe a favor to now? As he left Club Zero Bond last night, flew right to Martha's Vineyard, got wine, dine, pocket line, and came out with $50,000 in loot to put towards his re-election campaign in 2025. This guy has webos. This guy has chutzpah. When we come back, I got to give a shout out to my husband-in-law. That's right, some people wonder, why why, why do you call him your husband-in-law? The former governor, David Patterson, who at one time was my radio partner in the four years that I'll never get back in my life on AM 970, The Answer, the biggest waste of my life. I would do morning drive out there in Hasbrook Heights, a placebo city. I never saw anybody go in a car, out of a car, in a house. And I had to catch the Port Authority bus each and every day back right where the illegal aliens were getting off the Greyhound bus this morning. And I had to catch it from the boulevard. Believe it or not, it was called, what's the name of the boulevard? It's Boulevard. It doesn't have a name. No, it's Boulevard. Oh, my God. What a waste of four years. And then I'd have to come back to the Pennsylvania Hotel, rat-infested, to sit with David Patterson, site challenge, who couldn't see the rats doing the horror and the tarantella on the desk with the microphones for afternoon drive. And he was introduced to my wife, Mary. And like Henny Youngman, I said, hey, hey, take my wife. And he did, just proving that love is blind. And that made him my husband-in-law because now he's the stepfather of my oldest son, Anthony Chester Sleeve. Oh, God. Does he get more incestuous than that? Right here at WABC, where we are, La Familia. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222.
WABC. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. English, Nueva York, Nueva York, no pay, no pay, free, free, everything free in America, Nueva York, vaya, vaya. Imagine you're an illegal alien, you're coming across the border because you heard during the campaign versus then President Donald Trump that the former vice president and Democratic candidate Joe Biden, your papi chulo, say, andale, andale. Come to America. Who's your daddy? Like Pedro Martinez. Who's your daddy? And they said, you are. You're our Pape Chulo. And they kept marching. First by the thousands, and the tens of thousands, and hundreds of thousands. And they had T-shirts. What is it? They couldn't even get mines. They couldn't even get tamales. But they were able to get T-shirts with the picture of Papa Chulo Joe Biden on it. Mmm, I wonder who was funding that. And they marched strong to the border. But remember, President Trump was still in charge, and he said, no, 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 got to wait on the Mexicano side if you want asylum, because naturally the only way to get into America was, uh, I got, I'm got, i a victim of domestic abuse. Oh, MS-13, they're going to they're gonna strip my skin off. Oh, no, no, 18th Street, I forgot, it's 18th Street. Now make sure you get your gangs right when you get your asylum here and that you'll never show up for in a year. You gotta come up with some cockamamie excuse in order to cross over. But all you have to do is say that and it's an easy pass. And now they put you on a bus if you're in Texas because Governor Abbott controls what happens once you cross over. And he goes, You've been watching Telemundo? Of course. You've been watching Univision? Absolutely. You see the swagger man with no plan with the $5,000 suit saying, We're a sanctuary city. Come to New York. We give you shelter, we give you meals, we give you clothing, we give you Medicaid, we give you a snap card that you can finagle, and hey, you know, you can actually get cash for the snap card from some other illegal aliens. And by the way, we're not going to put you in a normal shelter that's dangerous, in which you might catch monkeypox or COVID-19, or maybe even polio. We're going to put you up in a five-star top-shelf hotel. Come to Nueva York! And they're actually doing that. And in fact, buses were arriving this morning at 7 a.m., but the swagger man with no plan was too busy uh, preparing for his brunch and his fundraising endeavor in Martha's Vineyard, so he couldn't be there. So who substituted for him? Some person of no consequence named Manuel Castro. And naturally, the moment the illegal aliens got off the bus, remember, they were from Venezuela. They were brought up under Chavez Maduro. They were allies of Fidel and Raul Castro behind the sugarcane curtain of Cuba. In fact, remember, Chavez was such an idiot. He kept believing that his cancer, which was growing like a basketball in his stomach, could be cured by the medical abilities of Cuban doctors. 
So instead of going to Miami where they would say, we don't like you, but we'll treat you. Nah, I'll keep going to Cuba. Where is Chavez now? Room temperature in a mausoleum in Caracas. And Maduro comes every night, the former bus driver. Did you know that? Dizzy, Izzy. Did you know that, Kevin? Maduro was the... He was basically a simple bus driver in the streets of Caracas who pledged support to Hugo Chavez. He was the Ralph Cramden of Venezuela. Now he's the president, and he talks to Chavez at night in the tomb. Naturally, after he's had some cerveza. This is crazy. This is absolutely insane. So they're getting off the bus, these Venezuelans, and they're asking him in Spanish, Manuel Castro, who's City Hall's head of immigrant affairs. Are you related to Fidel? Raul Castro? Please, please, can we go? Can we go to Fidel and Raul Castro land? Because that's what Chavez told us to do. Don't go to the USA. Don't seek medical attention in America. Go to the Cuban doctors. And if you would like to win a booby prize, which documentarian who came out of Flint, Michigan, Saginaw, actually did a documentary that suggested that if you were on death's bed, if you had brain cancer, if you had lung cancer, if you had pancreatic cancer, why would you go to Chicago, Cleveland, New York, Miami, or Los Angeles? You could be treated in Havana with Castro's doctors. Who was that documentarian who couldn't have been more hopelessly wrong? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So here are all the illegals, mostly from Venezuela, some of them from Colombia. And, you know, they weren't even asked questions. You know, you can't ask them their name. And you're not permitted to ask for any papers, any identification. Meantime, they got tats all over their face, you know, hardcore gangbangers. Uh, you know, I would have said, that tap there, uh, you part of the Medellin or Cali Coquina cartel, huh? No, you can't ask him those questions. All you have to do is give them sanctuary and a stipend each day, $50 in cash. Now, you think that comes out of City Hall's pockets? Hell no! That comes out of us, the sucker taxpayers. And naturally, the illegals were saying... Where's the swagger man with the $5,000 suit that we saw on Univision in Telemundo when we were down in Texas waiting to be put on the bus who was saying, Andale, Andale, we love you. We love we're Sanctuary City. We are going to treat you as God's children. You know, there's a small separation between the swagger man with no plan, Eric Adams, and Mother Teresa. Don't you get the feeling that he could easily have been Mother Teresa because, remember, he thinks God is a woman. <laughs> Uh, anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So the sickle fan, Tony and Lackey, substituting for Eric Adams, uh, the mayor, who was too busy mining for dollars in Martha's Vineyard, said this is a shameful policy on behalf of Abbott. What he is doing is a political ploy. He should feel ashamed of himself. And as you can see in the past week, Governor Abbott has been turning the tables on Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb, who actually has said, oh, we want those illegals. We need them to milk the cows upstate New York. We need them to fill all the jobs that are being advertised in the windows of the mom and pop shops in Manhattan and in Albany. Is she an idiot? Yes. But anyway, Eric Adams, he's decided to take on Governor Abbott 
And Governor Abbott said to both Eric Adams and the mayor of Washington, D.C., which is a federal city, why don't you come on down to the border? Why don't you see for yourself what's going on? Even AOC, all our crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, leader of the Democratic Socialists of America, the Justice Warriors, even she went down to the border, didn't like her conclusions, but even she went. In fact, listen, listen to Governor Abbott earlier last week. And they're a bunch of hypocrites. Uh, they're fine with illegal immigration flooding across our borders and the crisis caused by the Biden administration as long as it stays down in Texas. As long as it stays down in Texas. And the moment that Eric Adams, who is uh, never knows a photo op he doesn't want to miss. And plus, uh, give him a new nickname, Live at Five. He always tries to schedule everything so it's Live at Five on Eyewitness News. Uh, he took umbrage to that. He said, uh, tell you what, this is what I'm going to do to you, Abbott. I already called all of my friends in uh, Texas and told them how to cast their vote. And uh, I am deeply contemplating taking a busload of New Yorkers uh, to go to Texas and do some good old-fashioned door knocking uh, because we, we have to, for the good of America, we have to get them out of office. Uh, Eric Adams has never been to Texas, it's obvious. I have. I've started Guardian Angels in Dallas, Deep Ellum, Houston, Fourth Ward, San Antonio. They don't like New Yorkers down there. I showed up with the Red Beret. They had a crime crisis. We like the Guardian Angels. We don't like you. You're from New York. Can you imagine the swagger man with no plan with the $5,000 suits and the Ferragamo shoes going door to door knocking? Everybody in Texas has a gun. They don't like Jehovah Witnesses knocking on their door. They don't like Mormon missionaries. and They don't like New Yorkers bringing illegal aliens back to the state that their governor took the illegal aliens and had them pound the hound. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. And then what happened to the solidarity of the union? You know, at one time, my husband-in-law, David Patterson, not only was the governor, the leader of the Democratic Party, but he was also appointed by Andrew Evilized Cuomo. I'm going to be talking about him tonight when I return at 9. It is the one-year anniversary when he decided to leave office. Thank God. We're going to... We're going to connect the dots with the uh, Governor Perv at that time. Uh, there have been no discussions about all the senior citizens that he is responsible for having killed when he signed that executive order that doomed them, doomed their fate when they were taken out of hospitals and put back in COVID, COVID wards of senior citizens in which it was spreading like wildfire in the long-term senior citizen homes. You, you got to catch up with me at 9. I'll give you all the nitty-gritty details. But in this particular case, Governor David Patterson is going to be perceived as outre d'etat. I don't know. He may want to take back what he said to John Katsimatidis earlier today. As you know, John Katsimatidis from 8 to 10 every Sunday interviews newsmakers. Generally, by the time they finish their interviews, you can already see it online. Some newspapers and uh, wire services have picked it up. Uh, we talk about it all day long. Sometimes it goes two or three days and it sets off the news cycle for the week. So guess which is the leading story? The interview that is making headlines that John Katsimatidis did with my husband-in-law, former Governor David Patterson. He stuck the shiv in Eric Adams. Governor, uh, uh, the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, 
has come up with, I think, is one of the most brilliant political strategies I've heard in a long time. Now, <laughs> uh, you, you think Eric Adams, when he returns from Martha's Vineyard, is going to be happy? You know who he's calling. Can I hear that again, please? Dizzy, Izzy, uh, before Governor Patterson somehow tries to take it back. You know the pressure is going to be on it. Take it back, brother. Governor, uh, uh, the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, has come up with, I think, is one of the most brilliant political strategies I've heard in a long time. Wow. (laughs) I love it. I know Governor Patterson. He's my husband-in-law. He probably wasn't thinking straight in the morning. You know, politicians, they speak with a seven-second sound bite. They're afraid to say anything. <laughs> Especially Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plan. <laughs> this is the number one story, John Katsimatidis' interview with my husband-in-law, former Governor David Patterson. It has gone viral. I'm telling you, Team Eric Adams is fuming. I know what's going to happen. It's going to be brother to brother. You, hey, Dizzy is, you know what it's like, man. You siding with the white boys from Texas, the Klan plan? What are you, crazy? What, next thing you're going to support Trump? Oh, I know, I know. It's going to get brutal, man. They're going to question his blackness. They may take his melanin content from his skin, but since he's sight challenged, he would never know. You imagine? That was like when Eddie Murphy, remember he did that skit for Saturday Night Live in which. They made him into a white man. He walked around as a white man. They will take away his blackness. He'll no longer be a certified brother after what he said earlier today on the John Katzmatita show. Can I hear that one more time? Oh, that's making me feel so good. It's giving me knockers. Governor, uh, uh, the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, has come up with, I think, is one of the most brilliant political strategies I've heard in a long time now. Now, who do you think is going to give the second call and blaze him on his cell phone? Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb. Because what the hell are you talking about? You breaking the solidarity of Holcomb and Adams. Come on. Come on, Gov. Now they're going to be eyeing him like Judas. I know what's going to happen. Some of Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb's uh, aide-de-camps, who used to work in the executive office, When Governor David Patterson was there, remember, he took over overnight when uh, Elliot Spitzer with the knee socks was going to get hit with the Mann Act, a federal charge for transporting prostitutes across uh, state lines. And all of a sudden, he was like an instant jello pudding pot pie governor. You know what they're going to be saying? How many pieces of silver did you get from the Texans? 30 pieces, Governor Patterson, you traditor. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. We have uh, culturally appropriated this song from the degenerate Rolling Stones, decadent, debaucherous as they are, dysfunctional as they are. They just finished their Depends tour. And the groupies uh, promised that, hey, if they go on another Depends tour, they'll put on their Depends and they will follow, along with the roadies. 
Well, with all the mishigash going on with monkeypox as it has spread all over the world, not enough vaccines. Hey, Dr. Fauci, you think it's time to retire? But this particular report now, Dizzy, Izzy, and Kevin, suggests maybe there's some monkey business going on. A family pet tests for monkeypox as there is the first human-to-dog transmission case confirmed. Now, I am the master of theater of the mind. Nobody does it better at WABC, always broadcasting, Curtis. Need I paint the picture of how this dog may have gotten monkeypox? Huh? Do I dare say it? Oh, my God. No, no, no. You can get monkeypox by just sharing a towel. You know... You're in, you're in the gymnasium, right? You've just played a good game of two-on-two basketball. You've gone in the shower, and you're towel-snapping one another's private parts. Phew! Phew! And you could get monkeypox that way. You believe that, uh, Dizzy Izzy? Of course you don't. But how else could a family pet test for monkeypox as the first human-to-dog transmission case is confirmed? Well, well, well. I'll be talking about this later on tonight when I have more analy- analytics and data. Oh, yeah. Anyway, let's go to the phones. Let's go to Tom, who's calling from Farmingdale. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Tom. Hey, Curtis. Great show, as always. You're all over the place. So uh, I'm thinking maybe this was a hairless dog, right? A, you know, you a hairless dog. I do And then you got... Uh, your husband-in-law calling Governor Abbott brilliant. I agree. Brilliant. Um, you have to be careful. Mayor Adams is deeply contemplating. What does that mean? Mm. <laughs> and uh, maybe the former governor has to watch out because Al Sharpton might be next. Oh, man. You know, Sharpton. He lost a little power yeah. and weight. Yeah, but he's not going to be happy. You know, first of all, uh, <laughs> former Governor Patterson, uh, he did not go up to uh, Chocolate uh, Martha's Vineyard now. Uh, African Americans have kicked out all the whitey whiteys, all the Kennedys. It's about time. Uh, so it's their place. They have their annual African American Film Festival. And uh, basically, Al Slim Shady Sharpton said you have to be there. There's, there's no excuse unless you're in an ICU or an ER. There's no excuse. Okay. And uh, Governor David Patterson, my husband-in-law, apparently is not there. Hmm. So, man, he's going to be catching it from Kathy Crimewave Holcomb. He's going to be catching it from uh, Eric Adams. He's going to be catching it from Al Slim Shady Sharpton. He may have to become a Republican. That may be his only salvation. That wouldn't be bad. Well, I tell you this, I will be lobbying him. No doubt about that, Tom. Anyway, let's go to Steve in the neighborhood that is most close to me. My heart belongs not to San Francisco, but Canarsie. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Steve. Hey, Curtis. I haven't seen you since you were campaigning out on Staten Island. I wanted to bring up this business about cancer care in Cuba. Uh, first of all, I, when I was teaching at Madison High School a number of years ago, I ran what they called the Biomed House. And I took a number of the students to a program at Mount Sinai Hospital. 
And at that program, all they did was play up the tremendous medical advances and the great care and everything else coming out of Castro's Cuba. Second of all, following that, a couple of years later, I saw on PBS, the NOVA program, did an episode on cancer care in Cuba, and they played up this new drug supposedly that was developed and how Americans were going from the United States to Cuba to get their drug because it wasn't approved in the United States. Well, no, that is true. Uh, There are Americans who will travel to the ends of the world, to Mexico, to Cuba, to France, wherever there are medicines. Remember, then-President Donald Trump uh, railed against the fact that the FDA oftentimes would require testing that might take a decade before they would decide to uh, allow a drug by Big Farm to be uh, marketed to help people in distress, people who are dying. Uh, and I was totally on board with that. I know a lot of Americans, especially with cancer, who have even yeah, gone I know to... Th- a lot about, I know a lot about the medical tourism business, but what I did want to bring up was the fact that uh, there have been major advances in Cuba coming out of the Cuban medical system. Oh, no, no, While no, no, I the, do not the, like the, the communism, yeah, but, they, but, they but have Steve, made progress. Steve, let's be honest. It didn't help Hugo Chavez. Hugo Chavez started with a little, little seed of cancer in his stomach. It eventually grew to the size of a basketball. He went to Havana on the invitation of, at that time, still alive, Fidel and Raul Castro behind the sugar cane curtain. And had treatments three times and eventually died of stomach cancer. He could have easily gone to nearby Miami. They were more than happy to take care of him. But everybody's digressing. What did I ask Izzy Izzy? I said, who is the documentarian who came out of Flint, Michigan, don't drink the water, and Saginaw, Michigan, and did a documentary about the great medical care in Cuba? And actually said their overall medical care is better than our care in the United States. He uh, oftentimes has flipped his script. In fact, originally in 2016, he was probably the only Democrat, liberal and progressive who had predicted that Donald Trump would beat Hillary Rodham Clinton. And boy, he caught hell for that. Now, tell me, how many more tips can I give you on this trivia question? Grew up in Flint where you don't drink the water anymore. Between Flint and Saginaw. Made the documentary, remember, with uh, Hugh Hefner? No, not Hugh Hefner, excuse me. With Moses, with Ben-Hur, which will have to pry this, this rifle out of my cold, dead hands when he was the head of the NRA, the spokesperson for the NRA. You know who I'm talking about. Come on, I want to give away a Curtis Silver booby prize. Don't ask, don't tell. We throw nickels around like manhole covers, but thankfully... Based on the generosity of our owners and operators, John and Margot Katsimatidis of our parent company, Red Apple Media, they will provide you, if you get the right guess, a great WABC baseball cap that you can rock with the Curtis Sleeper program logo on it. Right, Dizzy? It's five-star top shelf. Nobody has gotten this. I, I, what do I have to spoon-feed you the answer? Maybe I'll answer it myself in order to get the WABC baseball cap with the Curtis Sleeper show on it. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Benjamin, who's calling all the way from Australia, the land down under. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Benjamin. Yeah, hi, Curtis. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I heard you talking about monkeypox just now, and 
I thought, well, didn't they say that was racist in the mainstream media, you know, that, that term? So, which I think is ridiculous, um, and I don't know how to dignify that kind of stupidity. So, now I'm with you. <laughs> now, now, Benjamin, I was in agreement with you until my wife, the animal rights activist, will be doing our show on animal welfare tonight from 11 or 12. Uh, she brought to my attention that in the Amazonian jungles, Brazilians are going out with machetes slaughtering monkeys because they are of the opinion that that's how monkeypox is spread, monkey-to-human transmission, and they are killing thousands and thousands of monkeys in the Amazonian rainforest. So, you know, I was with you. I say that's ridiculous, uh, World Health Organization. Don't you have better things to do than changing names? But in this case... It is leading to uh, slaughter of tens of thousands of monkeys in Brazil. And you know what's the next step? It'll take place in the Congo. It'll take place in other places with large congregations of monkeys. So the monkeys in the rainforest in Brazil are not causing monkeypox? No. No, no, that's, Benjamin, that's a misnomer. You know, maybe I should put on a clinic about monkeypox. Because every time I try to educate people that 99% of it is transferred by sex between males and bisexuals and males. And then there's a 1% chance you could get it other ways. And that'll probably expand over time. But people want to be so politically correct. They don't want to hurt people's feelings. They say, well, you know, that'll isolate gays and bisexuals and could cause them grief. Right now, the only ones who have grief are the monkeys in the Amazonian jungles. Tens of thousands of them are being slaughtered as we speak. And the crazy president of Brazil is not straining them out. By the way, another booby prize. Who is the crazy president of Brazil who is running against the crook for re-election, a guy who was in jail for corruption, Lulu. Don't you love that name? Like Desi Lulu, remember? Ricky Ricardo and... uh, (laughs) <laughs> I love Lucy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're laughing at our expense, Eric Adams. Swagger man with no plan. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Uh, takes me back to the Cold War. No, it wasn't Vladimir Putin uh, versus the U.S. of A. It was Nikita Khrushchev taking his shoe off in the General Assembly of the United Nations saying, we will bury you. The Cold War in full effect. So we had Rocket J. Squirrel and Bullwinkle Moose on our side. Boris and Natasha, KGB. That was on Khrushchev's side. Remember that? But you see... First, they came for the monkeys in the Amazonian jungles, and we said nothing, Dizzy Izzy. Next, they'll come for the squirrels led by Rocket J. Squirrel, their iconic figure, their deity. And then they'll go to Maine in the land of the mooses, and they'll take out Bullwinkle Moose. That's the way I see things, ladies and gentlemen. I really cut right to the chase here. 
Anyway, let's go if we can to Dave in Bridgeport. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Dave. Hey, good afternoon, Curtis. I love the show. I'm glad you're on Monday through Friday, too, uh, for that 45-minute segment in the afternoon. That is correct. Right after Bill O'Reilly, he gives you a 15-minute update from 12 to 1, and then I give you 45 minutes of a rip and read and commentary, no calls, from 12.15 to 1. Thank you for bringing that to everybody's attention. Yeah, makes for a great uh, lunch break. But uh, I, I think I have the answer to your question about that movie maker. Yes. Michael Moore. Yes, you couldn't be more hopelessly right. You are correct. I will never forget the time I was in the Guardian Angel headquarters and I received a call. This is when there were no cell phones. It was just landlines. And on the other other side was Michael Moore saying, Curtis, you broke my heart. You disparaged me on MSNBC. I said, would you like me to disparage you right now on the phone? And then he introduced me to Mr. Click. Sounds familiar. <laughs> yep, but he's the one made that documentary, had everybody believing that if you needed good medical care, you could go to Cuba. Now, Cuba has produced many doctors. They've exported them. In fact, they've exported them to Brazil, uh, to Algeria, to other countries for a price. That's basic medicine. But when you need intensive care for, like, lung cancer, pancreatic cancer, the kind of cancer that took out Hugo Chavez, you don't go to Havana. You go to uh, hospitals uh, here in America. Or like, if you notice, Dave, when the fake phony fraudulent shakes, you know, in the Persian Gulf, whether it's Saudi Arabia or Oman or Dubai or Bahrain, they get diagnosed with cancer. They come to New York and they go to Columbia Presbyterian. Now, a lot of their followers say, what? You're going to be treated by a Jewish doctor, an infidel? And they say, no, that's why we're going to Columbia Presbyterian, because we're seeking medical care from Presbyterian doctors. That's, <laughs> that's the roots. And you could, if you had to find every Presbyterian doctor in New York, you could fit them in a closet. Was that right? Yeah. Small. I remember when I was having my eight and a half hour operation for chronic Crohn's disease at Columbia Presbyterian, they have a whole 17th floor for the House of Fraud, you know, the uh, Saudis. And they've told all of their followers who bow uh, to Mecca and Medina five times a day that they will not be cared by Jews or Hindus. They also hate Hindus. And yet, when you walk the floors of Columbia Presbyterian, who are most of the doctors, Jews or Hindus? Yes, I, I believe you're correct there. By the way, it was a it was a Hindu doctor doctor who saved my life from the chronic Crohn's disease. <laughs> but you, I want a Curtis Lee Booby Prize, uh, if you can, uh, Consuela Carmelita. Curtis, you forgot my name already. It's Camelia. Uh, that's right, from Canarsi. That's the only thing we have in common. Uh, she will take your information, uh, Dave, and you will uh, expeditiously receive your Booby Prize. Meantime, uh, let's go to uh, Vince, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Vince. Hey, Curtis, how you doing? I was, I'm was i in the car, and I heard you say something about the uh, who the actor was that said, uh, bear it off my cold, dead hands. And that, of course, was none other than Moses himself, Charlton Heston. As you see, I prefer to think of him as Ben-Hur. You prefer to think of him as Moses. Uh, it's quite all right, because you couldn't be more hopelessly right. It was Charlton Heston. 
And uh, Michael Moore, a double discrazio, remember he took advantage of him when Charlton Heston was having the first wave of dementia and Alzheimer's and filmed him when uh, just basic humanity said you can't film a guy who's impaired like that. I remember sitting with Charlton Heston in a studio in Studio City, Los Angeles. We were both being interviewed. And I got to tell you, he was telling me about his life and time coming out of Wisconsin, the Midwest. Uh, it, it it was great. I mean, the guy was very entertaining. He was not uh, omnipotent. He wasn't pretentious. He didn't act like uh, he was obnoxious. He could actually have a normal conversation with Charlton Heston, which I didn't think was possible. I thought he was, you know, he had certain airs about him. Didn't you, Vince? Well, I do. And, and it's a sad state where we are sometimes. It's like as you get older, I'm a caretaker for an elderly parent. And it's like, we just need to be nicer to one another. I mean, it's like, take advantage of somebody. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. It's just a bad thing. I mean, life is too short to be trying to gain an unfair advantage over somebody politically because of their health, age, or uh, medical condition. It's just not right. Sure. And uh, Vince, uh, if you were listening last week, I dedicated a full hour to Tony Bennett, who himself in 96 is now gripped in the throes of having to deal with Alzheimer's and uh, uh, dementia. Uh, I'm just wondering uh, when somebody is going to be able to reveal to us that our president, uh, Joe Biden, is showing some of those signs, Vince. Uh, I mean, it's evident to me. I've certainly seen people with uh, Alzheimer's and dementia, uh, a lot of my relatives, that they put away in these nursing homes. They, They put them on floors, the top floors, they don't let you go see them, the regular public. It would make you cry. They wheel them out. They leave them in the hallways like vegetables. They turn them once. They turn them twice. And then they bring them back at night. They're like plants. And nobody does an expose on that. That is the sin of all sins. Somebody, maybe Geraldo Rivera like he did for Willowbrook, can expose what happens in the senior citizen homes. We'll be talking about that tonight in the 9 o'clock hour. York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Padre Filium Spiritus Santum. Breaking news, ladies and gentlemen, here at WABC. A valiant police officer was slashed in the year trying to help an emotionally disturbed person in Brooklyn. Just about an hour ago, by the time I get back at 9 o'clock to review this process, I should have more late-breaking details on that. Again, another hero of New York City, police officer, putting their lives out there on the line. And I know, you know me, you've seen me deal with emotionally disturbed persons in video, in documentaries, in posts, even in that... uh, That ad that I did uh, when I was running for mayor against Eric Adams, I know how to deal with emotionally disturbed persons, but at any moment they could have a psychotic disorder and I could be having a conversation with them. And many of them know me. They know me over the years and they will see in me a gargoyle, a dragon, a threat to themselves, and they will leash out with horrific violence and they'll be totally frightened and scared. These are... God's children, they really are. And shame on all of us, it's a shanda, it's a disgraziata, that we let them wallow in their defecation in urine, 
We let them walk around mindlessly, talking to inanimate objects. And when I see this, I suffer. Because I know it doesn't have to be this way. We have medical care. We have mental health care. We have medicine that can help these these poor souls. And instead, we end up demonizing them because when that psychotic disorder rears its ugly head, they can strike out at a moment's notice. Could be to an 86-year-old man or woman. Could be to a mother with her child in a baby carriage. Can be to themselves, to uh, everyone else. Can push somebody in front of a moving train. I've had many conversations with them. When I meet them in the streets and in the subways and the parks... I bring them water. When it's hot and humid like this, the number one thing they need to maintain some form of sanity is water because they dehydrate. And when they dehydrate, that escalates the possibility that they're going to have a psychotic disorder. Where are you going to get water when you're roaming around the streets? You can barely find a bathroom to eliminate. Even if you're a billionaire or a millionaire, try to find a bathroom at a moment's notice. Think about God's children that they are. Think of the torturous lives that they live. And we act like there's nothing we can do. I've had arguments with civil libertarians uh, till the ends, uh, uh, hours and hours. Oh, it's their right to choose to be in the streets. You know, it's part of being an American. And I say, look, if somebody were out in the streets and let's say they physically were vomiting and they were clearly ill the ambulance would come would put them in the stretcher they would be brought to the nearest uh, hospital to the er the icu and they would be provided with the best medical care in the world because it's a physical ailment but then all of a sudden it's a mental ailment ladies and gentlemen i've been on trains where i've seen men banging their heads banging their heads on the side of the trains while the train is moving. All of a sudden, blood all over their heads. And it's not uh, because it's uh, a form of beatification. No, 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 no. It's not stigmata. These are tortured souls. When they're in healthcare facilities, oftentimes they'll be given a helmet to wear to prevent themselves from doing neurological damage to themselves. I see them all the time. I talk to them. I know them. They are us. Any one of you out there one step away from losing control of your mental and physical faculties. And if I could just share with you, because he's no longer here, my father, Chester, merchant seaman of 54 years, would be off at sea eight months of the year and would be at home with us in Canarsie four months. So we had the best of times with him. And he would uh, take us to the Bowery. Back then is where all the flop houses were, the Salvation Army. Men were destitute, wallowing in their own defecation in urine. And my father, because he was a seaman, would have conversations with them, knew some of them who had been seamen themselves. And I was, I was uh, just repulsed. I said, Dad, why are you going near that person? Look, they got sores on them. They got blisters. And my father would say to me, son, there by the grace of God, go you. Never make fun of these people. And then he would introduce me to men, because they were mostly men, some women. Men who had had great careers, men who were learned men, men who were scholars, who had something traumatic happen in their life. 
Maybe it was the loss of a loved one or something that was so emotionally disturbing that they crawled into the belly of the beast and they just could not escape. And back then in the 60s, they didn't have the medication. They didn't have the mental health care facilities that we have now. We're considered to be in the forefront of this kind of medical research. And yet, look, all this morning as I was on my way to the Dominican parade, person after person, some of them that I knew, and I go up to them and give them a bottle of water because we were dehydrating in the heat. That's what they need most. And I could see they had deteriorated even more than when I last saw them. So put the politics aside. The Republicans are not doing anything about it. The uh, Democrats are not doing anything about it. It really is left to the people. I'll do what I can with the guardian angels here around the country and around the world in 13 countries and 130 cities. But really, it gets down to what are we going to do for our fellow brothers and sisters who are in such pain? They suffer. They see demons. They're frightened. They're like little children. You have no idea of how scared these people are at times. It's like the whole world is coming to an end. And they will reach out with horrific force and violence, even to me, a person they deem a friend. I'll go up to them and look at their wristbands because many of them are on medication or they've been recently hospitalized. And I can tell by just reading it how long they've been away from care, what they need in terms of medicine. And oftentimes, uh, I and the guardian angels will escort them to Bellevue in Manhattan, Kings County in Brooklyn, Elmhurst in Queens, Jacoby in the Bronx, Staten Island Psychiatric, although we've never had to do that in Staten Island, but they're they're there. I've seen them down in the North Shore. I've seen them uh, at the ferry. I've seen them in Park Hill and Stapleton and Marinus Harbor and Long Jersey Street. Yep, they're there, not in as great numbers as they are in the other four boroughs. But we're putting window shades on. We don't want to see them. We don't want to know they exist. We just want them dealt with. And I just wanted to give you an update on that because... I was actually passing before I went to the Dominican Parade this morning after I finished the overnight show, The Other Side of Midnight, from 12 to 6. Uh, One of the churches of the Archdiocese, I didn't go in the church, but a number of the parishioners came out at St. John the Baptist Roman Catholic Church on 76th and Lexington. Originally, it was created by the French Canadians. I call them the Quebecois because some of them that I was talking to uh, still think that Quebec should be independent from Canada. The church, if you've ever seen it, it's amazing. It has a dome. And some of the women coming out, you know, they're the hardcore parishioners without the women. It would be very difficult to keep some of these parishes alive. They volunteer. They go to the masses. They go to the novenas on Monday. They do the Stations of the Cross. They are the most loyal to their parishes. And there were two elderly women who were French-Canadian from outside of Montreal who were crying. Crying. And it's the reason I'm going to discuss what is definitely a shanda and a disgraziata, and it's happening more and more. The patron saint of France is Joan of Arc. 
If you have ever been to Paris, I mean, I love Paris. I hate the people. They're obnoxious. But there is history every square inch, wherever you walk. Unlike London, which is sort of drab and overcast and damp. Paris, every square inch is history. And in the heart of Paris, they don't really spend a lot of attention talking about it. The French know about it, but not really the tourists. You know, there's the Arc de Triomphe, there's the Eiffel Tower, all the things we've grown up learning about. The museums. And there is a golden statue. Golden statue. And no one has desecrated it. Nobody has chipped off the gold. It's of Joan of Arc. She is literally the patron saint of Roman Catholics, especially women through the generations. And they'll tell you the story, as I was told as a young boy, by my mother and by my aunts, who actually, when they would go do the novenas on Monday nights at Our Lady of Miracles in uh, Canarsie, Our Lady of Grace in Howard Beach, they would say prayers to Joan of Arc because she was a powerful female figure. There weren't many powerful female figures for women back in the 1960s. But she was triumphant. And they told me the story of Joan of Arc. That at an early age, maybe 12 or 13, she had heard voices. A lot of people had said, oh, she probably, there's Satan in her soul. She's probably demonic. She's hearing voices. And she had insisted that these voices were telling her that she had to dress like a man she had to help the French beat the English in a hundred-year war. Can you imagine a war lasted for a hundred years between the Brits and the French? You know, from time to time it would slow down and then it would heat up. Eventually the French were able to drive the English off of the continent because they had uh, taken up much ter territory. But Joan of Arc said that God the divine had told her she needed to join the French forces and battle the British and kick them out of France. And so she immediately began to wear male garb because he wouldn't let you go out there and fight if you didn't wear the garb of a warrior. And can you believe that she actually led the French forces in the take back of Orleans? And I'm not talking New Orleans, a city named Orleans crushed the British this teenage woman and men put aside their machismo their sexism and they actually followed her thousands tens of thousands hundreds of thousands as much as they were loyal to King Charles VII the King of France they were more loyal to Joan of Arc but there were always those on the periphery who would say that this was witchcraft. Dressing like a man was heresy. And that the voices that Joan of Arc was hearing was not divine at all, but was really Satan. And the reason I bring all of this up is these women were crushed because, leave it to the English, they have decided to do another play about Joan of Arc. There have been many plays done, in fact, 
You may have seen the movies that have been done, the TV specials, the documentaries. But they're doing another play in uh, Shakespearean theater. And they're turning Joan of Arc into a non-binary person. And women are saying, wait a second. Why is it always you're encroaching on females? Female athletes. It's always a man identifying as a woman. Why? You almost never hear it the other way. You ever hear that, Dizzy Izzy? You ever hear, oh, uh, you know, men objecting to the fact that women are identifying themselves as men. No, it's always, it seems to be a one-way street. And now they want to turn Joan of Arc, hero to so many women around the world, the patron saint of France, and they want to use the pronouns they and them. And feminists are joining together and saying, you can't do this, you've gone too far now. You really have gone too far. And so they've joined in solidarity, and I'm going to be joining them. I'll be throwing my machismo in there. They're going to rebel against this new world order that immediately bestows upon you pronouns, the likes of which I totally don't understand. When it comes down to this, hey, Dizzy Izzy, you know what you are? You're, you're X, Y. Uh... Uh, Chris, uh, Chris Dalt, uh, Curtis, you forgot my name already. It's Camellia. Yeah, Camellia from Canarsi. You're, uh, you're XX. You're stuck. Guys, I guess they can flip the script and go back and forth from X to Y, but you're stuck. You're XX. So the decision to change Joan of Arc's gender has sparked fierce debate. Who is defending this? Men. Men are saying, oh, no, it's uh, creative license. It's literary license. Women are saying, this is our iconic figure. You can't do this. It implies that female warriors like Joan of Arc could only have been gender neutral, that it's not possible for a woman to be a warrior and still be a woman. Don't you just love it? The French are getting involved with this. Meantime, Gwyneth Paltrow is saying, oh, I don't know how to handle this. Well, step aside, Gwyneth Paltrow. I love it. The feminists are saying Joan of Arc was a woman who dressed like a man and did what was considered a man's job. Many women have played her and have understood it was the strength of a woman. She was not non-binary. It's not an interesting idea. It's nothing that should be explored. It's hurting women. And I have, I have to completely concur. This is an outrage. Wow. They've gone after Joan of Arc. And when I saw these two French-Canadian women crying, crying tears, uh, you know, obviously, we don't relate that way. But I remember Mount St. Ursula. Many of you in the Bronx know Mount St. Ursula is still there. Very few of the French nuns. They had the large white habits. I know because my older sister, Alita, went there in school when my mother was pregnant with me. And I remember 
It was the Mother Superior that I was introduced to years and years later. And when I walked into her office, because I lived right across the street at Bedford Park, got evicted. Uh, that's another story. The marshals came in, guns to my head, out you go. Hey, pick up all your belongings in a Quonset hunt in Hunts Point that the rats had infested. But that's, I'm digressing. But when I went to see the Mother Superior at Mount St. Ursula in Bedford Park, do you know what picture was behind her? It wasn't a picture of the Lady of Guadalupe, the Blessed Mother. It wasn't a picture of Jesus Christ. It was a picture of Joan of Arc. And she said, this is our patron saint. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Dominique et Nicanique s'en allaient tout simplement aux dieux, pauvres et chantants. How could I forget watching Ed Sullivan Sunday nights, the 13-inch black and white RCA TV, waiting for little Topo Chicho, the Italian mouse, to come out. And then all of a sudden, the French nun comes out, Dominique. By the way, this was a top 40 hit at WABC. WABC. Uh, They used to play this, you know, the separation of church and state. Nope. This was a hit. And it was the French nun who sang this song. So, I'm listening to Joan Hamburg, and she is, without a doubt, the grand dame of talk radio. Cindy Adams uh, gives her a run for the money. She's on one to two on Sundays. Wow, she's had some really big interviews of late. Mr. Kiss, Mr. I Got a Huge Tongue Simmons. And she said to him, hey... Uh, how long is your your tongue? And I'm not talking about the one you would get at the uh, Cat's Deli down on uh, Delancey Street, huh? Houston Street, excuse me. Let me correct myself. But uh, Joan Hamburg uh, the other week had on Ken Aletta. This great uh, piece about Harvey Weinstein. I, I was transfixed. And so she had on a guest uh, earlier today, 2 to 3 o'clock hour before I come on. The actress Toba Felshu, who had me confused and definitely had Joan Hamburg confused because she uh, interviews many, many men and women in theater and Broadway and in movies. And she was interviewing Toba because she had just gotten a part in this movie, A Girl Like Him. And she was trying to explain what non-binary means. Now, this is appropriate to our conversation since they're trying to make Joan of Arc non-binary in the Shakespearean playhouse outside of London. Uh, Lower the music, please. I want to hear Joan Hamburg confused as I am confused. Find out from Toba Felshu exactly what non-binary means. Called A Girl Like Him, written by... What is that? I play the grandmother of a non binary granddaughter. So let me explain what I understand non-binary to be. Non-binary is a definition of self. It's an identity. Like I would, um, well, I don't know what I could compare it to, but 
it, 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 the difference between a lesbian, a homosexual, and a heterosexual is that, but let us say, I'm, I happen to be a heterosexual, married to Andrew Harris Levy for 45 years. That is my sexual preference. That is the sexuality I, I practice. Lesbians declare themselves they prefer women. Homosexuals prefer men. Non-binary doesn't talk about who you prefer. It talks about your own identity, right. saying that I have a fluid sexual identity. I can feel male. I can feel female. I can make love with men. I can make love with women. I am fluid and want to be referred to in the plural. So if you and I were talking about a non-binary woman across the room and we were wondering where she was going to get, I would say, do you know where their coat is? I wouldn't say, do you know where her coat is? Do you know where their coat is? I'm more confused than ever. Do you know where their coat is? Their is plural. So what, a few people come in, their coat? I'm more confused than I was before. One thing I can assure you, Joan of Arc was not non-binary. Why would they mess with an institution like that? And again, it's the theater, and I understand they have creative license. But it's the English who are doing this in their perpetual battles with the French. They lost the 100-year war. They had a freaking 100-year war against one another. I mean, hundreds of thousands of people were slaughtered. And then the Brits took Joan of Arc after she destroyed their armies in Orleans. And they put her through an inquisition. They tortured her. They said, renounce. Renounce the fact that you are a witch. She wouldn't renounce it. And then they burned her at the stake. Burned her at the stake. And as she, her flesh was peeling off of her skeleton, she was screaming out, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Do you know she was beatified at the Cathedral of Notre Dame, the very one that recently suffered uh, all that damage from the fires. Thankfully, they're reestablishing it. I give uh, Macron uh, some brownie points for that. I hate the guy for everything else. By the way, he married his grandmother. But that's for another discussion. She was beatified in the Cathedral of Notre Dame by Pope Pius X and in 1920 canonized by Pope Benedict XV. And what's causing the controversy is that J.K. Rowling has jumped in and ridicules those that would say that Joan of Arc is non-binary with they and them pronouns. And J.K. and other women are saying, stop, you're trying to rewrite female history. They are de-womanizing her. They are. They are de-womanizing Joan of Arc. And that's why these two women, these French-Canadian women, were crying as they were. Obviously, Americans are not going to cry. But wow. Where are we going to stop this nonsense? There are 72 interpretations of gender identification now. Uh, You, uh, Dizzy Izzy, at any moment of a given day can declare yourself to be of a particular gender And we all have to respect that, even though two hours later, after you get off of the porcelain palace and you've given it some thought, you say, no, three snaps up, I'm a different gender. And we have to respect that. You know, I would say you're a screwball and a nut job. Why don't you go back, sit on the porcelain palace and just understand, Dizzy, your XY, figure it out from there. 
Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Christine calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Christine. Hi, Curtis. How are you? I've had better days uh, taking on Joan of Arc. Yeah, I got the um, answer for the uh, president of Brazil. Oh, you mean the schoolboy president of Brazil. What's his name? What is it? Jair Bolsonaro? Yes, you got it. He's claiming already that the election has been stolen from him, even though not a a vote has been cast against uh, Lulu, who is the, uh, well, uh, socialist. But a guy was a crook, should have been in jail, but they allowed him out. Uh, so you got a crook running against a screwball. That's what the Brazilians are facing. My concern, they're slaughtering monkeys in the Amazonian jungle because Brazilians think that that's where monkey pox comes from. Uh, please, uh, Christina Cristalta. Curtis, you forgot my name already. It's Camelia. Camelia from Canarsie. Please uh, make sure that Christine gets the Curtis Lee Booby Prize. Let's go to Gil calling from Forest Hills. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Gil. Thanks, Curtis. Uh, it's pretty evident that uh, the current commissioner of the of the police department, NYPD, is largely a figurehead, a cipher, and that Eric Adams is running the show. But when he was elected, I honestly thought that he might very well appoint himself as NYPD commissioner, thereby wearing two hats, the mayor and the NYPD commissioner. Would you happen to know... If that's legal? Uh, I don't know if it's legal, but I do know, like, in the instance of Mike Kumbadicic, Rudy Giuliani, he uh, definitely directed the uh, NYPD. He was the titular police commissioner. In fact, uh, his first choice uh, when he got sworn in in 1993 was Bill Bratton. Uh, there was a shooting in a mosque. Al Slim Shady Sharpton wanted to meet with Bill Bratton. So Bratton goes to Giuliani at City Hall. He goes, you know, I'm going to meet with Al Slim Shady Sharpton. Uh, Rudy looks at him and says, oh, you meet with Shopton? Well, you could take your freaking badge and gun off, put it here on the desk, and I'll have a police commissioner before the end of the day. <laughs> and so Bratton did not meet with Al Slim Shady Sharpton. But Rudy knew about police work. Eric Adams was an activist cop rebelling against the police. So he was an activist. He wasn't proactive. And, Gil, I got to tell you, Nobody sees Sewell, the new police commissioner, the female police commissioner appointed after she was the head of the detectives union of the Nassau County Police Department. She is not permitted to make choices. She can't make decisions. Everything has to be cleared through Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plan. And she is a placebo police commissioner, Gil. There's no doubt about it. She had no experience in the NYPD. Uh, She should have been made a deputy commissioner for about a year you know, she could have learned the ins and outs, uh, what to do, what not to do. That's not a job you can learn on the fly. And certainly uh, not after only leading a detective division of the Nassau County Police Department. She's not ready for prime time, Gil. And I'm the only one saying that. Everybody, oh, you know, they walk on eggshells. Oh, she gives good speeches. Well, if you went to Dale Carnegie out there in Garden City in Long Island and took a course, you, Dizzy, could give good speeches, too. Does that seem to make right, sense, Gil? It sure does. Thanks, Curtis. My pleasure. I'm the only one saying. Uh, Police Commissioner Sewell, not ready for prime time. Major, major mistake. Eric Adams is the shot caller with the police department. Nothing gets done until he clears it. And uh, Phil Banks, the deputy mayor for public safety, 
who has been corrupted in the past, uh, he also weighs in and will make uh, decisions. But still, it has to be cleared by Eric Adams. That's why nothing gets done. That's why the police are losing the war against crime. Tonight, when I return in the 10 o'clock hour, I'm going to go through a litany of crimes that have been committed that are just repeats of crimes that are regularly being committed in the five boroughs. And it's not just the fact that district attorneys are not prosecuting or judges are not following the law. Police are not proactive any longer. They're reactive. The criminals know that. And the criminals know there are no consequences from the police, the judges, or the district attorneys. And that's all because of Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb, the supermajority in the state Senate, led by Cousins, in the Assembly by Hasty, and yes, even Eric Adams, who was responsible. He led the effort to strip police of qualified immunity, which allows them the comfort of knowing that if I take a risk and it goes uh, awry, I'm not going to be personally sued. So Eric Adams cannot extricate himself from that. He acts like, oh, I'm the friends of the police. No, he's not. And cops will tell you that. Let's go to Max in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Max. Curtis, thank you for taking my call. Um, listen, you were talking about the, the homeless who are running around and need special help. Many of them have heavy metals poisoning, and they get this from either amalgam fillings or the mercury that comes from out of vaccines. They need a certain type of detoxification, and many of the hospitals don't give it to them. They're not aware of this. Some of them are aware of it, and they think it's a big joke. Secondly, the monkeypox problem, that when if, if, if an animal has a virus and it jumps into a human, it cannot be done on its own by nature. It has to be tweaked by a scientist. This is called gain of function. So if there's a scientist who can do that, who has the ability to do that in a laboratory, he can do that. But it's man-made, it's man-manipulated. Well, Max, uh, we are going to be doing a deep dive into monkeypox, into polio, into the new variants of COVID-19, which are uh, stronger strains than the ones that we've uh, had to live up, uh, under since the lockdown and pandemic of uh, March of 2020. Anyway, uh, let's go, if we can, to uh, Joe, who's calling from Huntington. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Giuseppe. Thank you for taking my call, Curtis. Uh, I just wanted to say three things. Number one, Jesus was homeless. Boxes have holes and birds have nests. I need you, Joe, to speak into directly into the phone because you're coming in uh, in a warbled way. How about now? Perfect. All right. I was saying that Jesus can identify with the homeless because foxes have holes, the birds have nests, and the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. The second thing is when you give a cup of water to a person that is lowly, give it on to him. And the third thing is you said you're from Canarsie. I was, I was uh, raised at E-54, Avenue J and K. Maybe right around the corner from where you lived. I don't know. Yeah, I was on 89th and J. Uh, it was the best of worlds, the worst of worlds. I would never, ever go back and want to grow up any differently. It was the greatest place to grow up in Canarsie, Brooklyn. So my grandfather built a house. My grandfather, Giuseppe, built a house. On East 54th, having J.K. 
he was a mason and he, and he built a beautiful house there. Yeah, no, no, I, uh, I, I, I got, I, I got to tell you, Joe, I learned so much from the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, you're annoying, Dizzy Izzy. You're really annoying. I got to go across that that glass and pimp slap you. I'm not listening to you. No way. You have your agenda, which is not my agenda. I'm going to Ted here in Huntington. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ted. Hey, Curtis. Hi. How are you? Um, long story short, I met you at the uh, at the uh, Hexer Park Fair with your son, Anthony, a while back. You probably don't remember me. But anyway, here's my point. Uh, long story short, the backpedal, you were mentioning Joan of Arc and the sexuality and the woman that did the interview with all that nonsense. And as my head was spinning like yours, I thought of something kind of simple. If a woman chooses to have sex with both men and women... Isn't the term bisexual? And likewise, if a man chooses to have sex with both men and women, isn't the simple word just bisexual? Correct. So therefore, therefore, if that person was getting their coat, like you mentioned, you know, we don't have to come up with 29 different ways of describing well, what they well, are. Well, you see, you see, Ted, you're right when it comes to sexuality, but they're claiming gender has nothing to do with sexuality, which is all the more confusing. Although I remember as a kid in Canarsie, again, in front of that 13-inch RCA black and white TV, my grandmother, Nicoletta Bianchino, who was, oh, she herself was like a patron saint. Never heard her curse. She would go to every mass. She would go to Novenians, do the stations of the cross, always volunteer at Our Lady of Miracles. She introduced uh, to me on the Million Dollar Movie, they would play the same movie five nights a week on Channel 9. Same movie, same time, same place. Ingrid Bergman played the role of Joan of Arc. It was absolutely magnificent. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Once again, in this instance, the English are seeking to attack the French, not in a physical way, as they've done over the centuries and vice versa, but their patron saint of the French, which is Joan of Arc, by calling her non-binary. And at a Shakespearean festival, that will be the featured play, which the, the French women especially are crestfallen. But I play Hell's Bells here, ACDC, from the land down under. Because when the Brits finally captured Joan of Arc, they said the fact that she claimed that she heard voices that said attack the English made her an enemy of the royal throne. And she said to them as the Inquisitor was asking her, she said, God is on the French side. And they wanted her to sign a retraction, and they made her after torturing her. And they said, you will dress as a woman. You will no longer dress as a warrior, but you will still spend life in the gulag perpetually in jail. Four days later, voices returned. She dressed in the men's garb of a warrior, 
the judges, the English judges said she was a relapsed heretic and that she had been transformed into a living, human, breathing member of Satan. They claimed she was seditious, an apostate, schismatic, and a sinner against the Church of England, and they burned her at the stake. And so the English are having their revenge now, right? Oh, on a Shakespearean stage. Oh, she's not binary. She's not. Anyway, let's go to uh, Dr. Stenberg, who's calling from Westchester. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Doc. Yes, I had a comment. The gentleman who called up about amalgam fillings causing toxic poisons or about monkeypox being made by enhanced function, here's the danger. We went through this Galileo in the 12th century. We went through it with communism in the 20th century, where science became slave to politics. It is This happened with COVID as well. Did we lose doctor there, Doc? Be careful. Oh, okay. Hold on. We, we lost you momentarily, Doc. Go ahead. What 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 dizzy is he? The grounding in science. Yeah, hold, hold on, Jay. Dizzy, you, you're interrupting this great intellectual discussion we're having here. I know you're not used to that. You know, you're used to people screaming, "Biden sucks, Trump is God." And so we're having a discussion about monkeypox, which would have led to a discussion about polio, the various variants of COVID nineteen. And because you are so used to people just screaming, Trump is God, Biden sucks, you didn't know how to handle it. Yeah, 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 you, you apologize. Oh, boy, there's going to be a price to pay after this show. A serious price. one 800 let us go to Bill, who's calling from the Upper West Side. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Bill. Um, hi, Curtis. I, I really enjoy um, your shows, every one of them. Um, I just wanted to weigh in a little bit about uh, this uh, Joan of Arc business, because uh, people in the theater have always been screwing around with, uh, you know, like important uh, biographies and big topics. And when I was in high school, um, I was in a drama class, and we read uh, George Bernard Shaw's St. Joan. Um, it's a play. It's a great play, um, you know, by the same guy who wrote uh, Pygmalion, which was the basis of My Fair Lady. Anyway, that was uh, George Bernard Shaw. But there was another one that we read on on uh, Joan of Arc too, and that one set her as a labor leader in the Chicago stockyards. She was a socialist fighting against in a union and against capitalists. Uh, in Chicago, and it's set in 1930, written by a German um, named Bertolt Brecht, who also wrote the Three Penny Opera. And um, it's like a completely different spin, but in the end, she is martyred as well uh, by the capitalists. And so it's such an interesting thing. It's called Joan of the Stockyards. Now, you know, it's interesting uh, you mentioned George Bernard Shaw. Uh, when I was in Ireland, I was in uh, Dublin, uh, Finlock, Coolock, Bally Fairmont, uh, having major discussions because naturally they love him there. And I say, yeah, but he was an apologist for Stalin. You know, he loved Russia. He loved the Soviet Union. It had a special place in his heart. Uh, I think ultimately he got bamboozled by communists and the uh, workers' paradise, uh, just as Paul Robeson had, who came from the United States. Boy, 
I had to almost run for my life. These guys, oh, you can't, you can't talk about George Bernard Shaw, you American. Boy, I almost got my throat cut. You know, they, they had these glasses, the Steins, I'll call them, these very thin glasses where they drink their brew in the pubs in Dublin, and they crack it on the ground, and then they want to cut your jugular. All over George Bernard Shaw, Bill. Well, I think he was just a contrarian, and if you would have said black, he would have said white. But um, anyway, on um, on Joan of Arc, if you ever get to the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and again, I have this uh, memory from high school when we were studying in English about Joan of Arc, um, there's a beautiful, huge uh, painting by a French artist named Lepage, I guess you could also say LePage, and you can look it up on the, um, you know, on Wikipedia or on the internet of Saint Joan, and it's it's not a particularly religious painting, but it just shows her visions. Um, this is all on canvas, yes. um, but it's like very impressionistic, and it's almost like a, a kind of gauzy um, overlay that you could do in film. Except it's a it's a wonderful painting. Well, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned uh, the 1930s in Chicago, socialism, uh, and there was one book I read. And I was working at my Uncle Jimmy's butcher shop at that point. And I got to tell you, I could not put it down. Every time in between shifts, uh, I just had to continue to read it and read it and read it. The Jungle. I would say out of all the books I've ever read, it was the most intense, talking about the meatpacking industry, East Europeans being brought in to work in rendering plants, which is I mean, the worst. I know I, I used to live right near the stockyards before they took it down in the south side of Chicago, 46 and Rockwell. You could smell it in the summertime. And then how they brought the blacks up from the south to displace the East Europeans and all the racial tension. And when I tell people that, you know what they tell me, Bill? Well, uh, what is it? That was written by a socialist who ran for governor of California. I said, I don't care if he was a communist. It was a great book. Um, I'll tell you, it was, you know, a lot of people think that it's a, you know, like a nonfiction, but it's actually fiction. It's a kind of composite that uh, that was drawn of that. But the thing about the stockyards, and I've never, I had never been near there like you. Uh, I once went to a talk that this uh, psychologist did. He was an expert in smell and researching smell. And so when asked him, what's the worst thing you ever smelled? And his answer, he didn't miss a beat. He said the Chicago stockyard. Oh, but yeah, the stink in the summertime would twirl the hairs in your nostrils. Well, look, look who, look who, oh, my God. Look who texted me, Sid Rosenberg. He said, you're talking about the jungle. You're talking about all these other books. You're not even mentioning my book, my book called Citizens United. With Johnny Russo, by the way, uh, Sid is listening now. Johnny Russo, the godfather, he's going to want quite the vig. By Sid Rosenberg, I say steal the book. If nothing more, rip out page 27 because it's a tribute to me how I went into management and said, you must hire Sid, who's in Florida, and team him up with Bernard McGurk to be the mid-morning show to replace Geraldo Rivera. 
And then eventually to become the morning show and the top-rated morning show now in the nation. And the forward is written by John Katsimatidis and Bernard McGurk, and I don't even get to write a thumbnail sketch. Spectacular! Oh, my God. He's texting me. Oh, you didn't mention my book. You're talking about The Jungle, Upton Sinclair. You're talking about all these other great pieces of uh, George Bernard Shaw. You think that Sid even knows who George Bernard Shaw is? Well, wait a second. He went to poly prep. Some of them turned out to be communists who loved Joe Stalin and loved the Soviet Union and loved socialism. Oh, yeah, it's the salacious spiel story suggestions and solutions to withstand a woke world. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Yeah! Uh. I'm a big You know it. We can't wait to be God, that's the other thing. Walking through the streets of New York City after I finished the overnight shift, the other side of midnight to the break of dawn. It's like it was a purple haze everywhere. People like Dizzy Izzy were out there getting dizzy, smoking as they were vaping up. And I said to them, hey, you got to vape up in front of me, huh? You got to blow that smoke and give me a secondary high here, huh? Huh? You got to shotgun me, huh? You know, I'm going to take that vape and shove it right down your throat. Oh, oh Mr. Slee, oh, oh, I didn't mean it. I mean, yes, you did. You think you own this city now, right? You think you can whip out a blunt to join? You think you can do puff, puff, pass? And I'm not going to be bothered? Hey, you want to do it in the corner? That's your business. But you're going to blow that smoke in my face, my olfaccia? Oh, please, don't hurt us. Oh, I wanted to take his head right there and introduce him to the curb. I said, now, now, go ahead, take another toke, huh? Blow smoke in my face now, huh? And that's when I met the, the, the two French-Canadian women crying there, coming out of St. John, the Baptist Roman Catholic Church at 76 in Lex. I catch you vaping, dizzy, dizzy, man, that's it. I'm going to take your head, and I'm going to say, you see the hood of that car? And you're going to say, yeah. I said, you know the making model? And you'll be fumbling and stumbling. And I said, no, I just want you to see the hood because it's the last thing you're going to see. Bang! Right in the hood of the car. You'll get a blockchain right on your forehead from that. Look, it's old school. It works. Anyway, let's go uh, back to Dr. Sternberg before we were so rudely interrupted, doctor, by, unfortunately, my... Uh, Board operator who's only used to handling calls in which people are screaming that Trump is God and Biden sucks. So uh, uh, I offer you my apologies, doctor. Thank you, Curtis. So I, what I was saying was that, you know, we go back to the Greeks who gave us a Socratic method of asking questions, coming up with a hypothesis, and then testing it to develop knowledge. Unfortunately, throughout history, either because of religious beliefs or because of political beliefs, science has been rejected repeatedly when it was a threat to the administration of the church from Galileo to communists because of their belief that they rejected genetics. And now in America, as we reject science because it doesn't fit the dialogue politically, and I, and I worry because every civilization that fell, beginning with the Greeks, the Romans, the Ottomans, the Russians, the communists, and the Nazis, 
they all either rejected humanity and the value of Judeo-Christian ethics, or they rejected science. Only societies that embrace science and humanism can survive. And I'm afraid we are watching, and I'm a little older than you are, Curtis, and I'm fairly well read. And I believe you and I are watching the decline and fall of the American empire. And the arguments about Biden and Trump are just symptomatic yep. that we can't even decide to win an election. Yeah, no, 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 no. I, I, I concur with you, Dr. Holy. In fact, I was brought up in a household where I was told by my father, and again, remember, he had to depend on the astronomy, the stars, the alignment. He was a first mate, so oftentimes he'd have to chart the course for ships. And he told me about Galileo being threatened to be burned at the stake simply because he said the world was round. But he reminded me the Polish Copernicus did not capitulate, whereas Galileo, remember, did capitulate because he didn't want to he didn't want to get burned at the stake like Joan of Arc. But Copernicus continued the tradition of defying the authorities and insisting that based on his studies, the world, in fact, was round. So here we are again, Curtis. Yeah. 21st century. And believe it or not, there is is a movement of people who think the world is flat. Now, there are flatheads, like remember with uh, Dick Tracy, there was flathead, whatever the hell his name was called. And there are people who uh, are trying to project the image that the world is flat. That scientists like Galileo and Copernicus, uh, they... Well, part of the deep state hundreds and hundreds of years ago. One thing I know is they weren't vaping. That's for sure. I really got upset at that. I said, no, no, it's, it's like shotgunning. Really? Did I ask you to do that? Did I, hey, look at me when I'm talking to you. Look at me. Kid, look at me. I'm going to hit you so hard your mother's going to feel the vibrate. Oh, Mr. Sliwa, I'm sorry. Dysfunction. Let's go to Bill calling from Franklin, New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Bill. How you doing? Uh, I wanted to tell you there's a, a really wonderful picture that was a French silent film based on the actual records of the English trials of Joan of Arc. And it's it's silent film, but the actress was just her first part, and she was common actress, a common person and uh, you know it was the first film but it, it is really striking and, and really really shows what what she went through i mean it's unbelievable the sets are bland and it's not long i think it's only like 40 minutes or 35 minutes no i think it it, it should be it should be required if you're studying theology or if you're studying uh uh how religions have changed over the centuries uh, we're always studying male figures. Everything is so male-oriented. This was a genuine hero female that other women looked up to. Very much like Wonder Woman. Remember, we had Wonder Woman on TV. and All the girls, well, what, what guys watched Wonder Woman? Maybe you, Dizzy, you watched Wonder Woman because you were wondering, you know, you were wondering about your gender identification, your sexuality. You didn't know if it was your X chromosome influencing you or your Y chromosome so you love to watch Wonder Woman. I get it. But we forget a lot of times that women need these symbols of courage also, not just macho, maniacal guys. And Joan of Arc was always that for generations. Now, I don't like the French. And every time I've been to Paris, hate the French, love the city. 
But I've been there three times, and every time I've been there, I've made it a point. Forget the Arc de Triomphe. Forget the Eiffel Tower. You could see it in the distance. Forget the history on every block, every square inch, the little shops, the magnificence of that city. And I always had, after taking the Metro, that's right, the Metro, wow, this subway, 10,000 times better than ours, with rubber tires. It eliminates the noise. You think we might ever do that here? But I go to that statue, gold statue in honor of Joan of Arc, who was burned at the stake and would not renounce her beliefs. How many of us would be put and surrounded by all the tinder, threatened with a match, the most horrible way to die, most horrible way is in fire, and just ask, renounce your beliefs and you will be spared. And in fact, she was stronger than ever before. And we want to take that away from women, like we have the... uh, Transsexual uh, athletes who are males who want to compete against women, and it's so unfair, and it just makes all the common sense in the world, and yet we're being told by some, well, that's what they are. They identify as women. Well, all I can tell all of you out there who are screwing up with everyone's mindset about men and women and how they're to be identified, whether by sex or gender, leave Joan of Arc alone. You've messed with almost everything else. You've taken our heroes of the revolution, of our Constitution, our Bill of Rights. You've blasphemed them. You've taken those statues away. You took Thomas Jefferson out of the corridor, the main body of the city council of the city of New York. Leave Joan of Arc alone.